What's up, Star Wars fans, and welcome to episode seven of Battle Station Radio. I'm your host, Kate Ellsworth. Um, this is the first episode of 2024, and speaking of 2024, it's going to be a great year for Star Wars. Uh, we have about four projects coming out this year that I know about. Uh, one is Bad Batch, which premiered uh, last week. Um, the other is The Acolyte, which we really don't know much about. We don't really have a trailer for it, but we do have several unconfirmed by Star Wars, but several reports of it releasing on June 5th, so that would be about three, four weeks after Bad Batch is done. So it makes sense, but we haven't had any confirmation from Lucasfilm or Disney, so the jury's still out on that. We also have Tales of the Jedi Season 2. I think that is confirmed for sometime this year. And then also, and or Season 2, we heard reports that that finished filming in the last month or two, and so hopefully they can get that edited and advertised and to us by the end of this year because Andor Season 1 was so awesome and I'm hoping that they knock it out of the park again with Season 2. Well, it's been a while since the last episode of Battle Station Radio. Um, I kind of didn't have motivation to make new episodes after Ahsoka finished. There wasn't anything new with Star Wars content. Um, you can expect a full Ahsoka review and recap coming in the next few weeks on this podcast. But yeah, I'm excited to uh, hopefully make a podcast episode every week coinciding with uh, the Bad Batch. And it sounds like we'll have enough Star Wars this year to uh, keep the podcast uh, consistent. So excited to work on that for this year. Um, so now I guess we can dive into Bad Batch, which is the topic of this episode. I have a bunch of stuff written down. So I thought it would be helpful uh, to kind of review where did we leave the Bad Batch at the end of Season 2. Honestly, the Bad Batch is in shambles at the end of Season 2. So how Season 2 ends, if you've forgotten, is that they infiltrate this Imperial Summit on Iriadu with uh, Tarkin is there and Hemlock is there. Uh, Hemlock is the cloning scientist. And so I don't remember exactly what they're there for because right, this was last year. But uh, Tech falls to his death in the final episode of Season 2. So basically... Echo and Hunter and Wrecker and Omega escape and they go back to uh, Sid's uh, parlor or restaurant or whatever kind of business she runs on Ord Mantell. And unfortunately, Sid, um, she thinks they have too much heat on him with the Empire. And so she has turned them in to the Empire. So Bad Batch is already uh, in a bad place. Uh, Wrecker has a big neck brace on. They're all pretty injured. She calls the Empire and then through the events of that episode, they're trying to escape. At one point, they've taken Wrecker and Hunter into custody. Uh, they kind of trade for Omega because she doesn't want anything bad to happen to her or her new family. And so the season ends with Hemlock taking Omega back to Mount Tantus and back to see Nalasay. And so we see Hunter. The last lines he says in season two are about how they're going to go looking for Omega and they're not going to stop until they find her. And so, basically, it's down to uh, Echo and Wrecker and Hunter, and they're pretty injured, right? They don't really know how to look for Omega because they can't really track her. Um, obviously, Crosshair is in a bad situation. He's a prisoner uh, being tortured by Hemlock. And then, obviously, Omega is a prisoner once again, right? They say she's not a prisoner in, in these few episodes, but, of course, she definitely is. 
So yeah, basically the Bad Batch is not in a good spot right now. So uh, now that we've recapped, now we're going to overview and recap the three-episode premiere of Bad Batch Season 3. So the first episode is called Confined, obviously a reference to Omega and her imprisonment on Mount Tantus. Uh, she's sort of a prisoner, sort of still Nalase's assistant. Um, Crosshair, uh, Omega talks with Crosshair at least once, maybe two times in that first episode of season three. And he kind of has a twitch in his hand. He looks pretty uh, sickly. And, it you know, it seems like he's just kind of given up hope on ever escaping. He kind of threw in his lot with the Empire, realized they weren't everything he thought they were. And now they've tortured him and kind of just, you know, left him to rot in this prison away from his brothers that he betrayed to stay true to the Empire that he thought was going to be so honorable and, you know, following orders and stuff like that. So he is, I don't think, I think he's pretty depressed. Um, we see Hemlock talking to Nala Say about something called an M-count transfer, which I didn't realize what that was, but I did realize in episode three, and we'll get to that. The most interesting thing in this episode is that Emery, the uh, clone that, or, you know, actually, let's talk about her for a sec. So Emery is uh, Hemlock's assistant in season two. And at the end of season two, the big reveal is that Omega is a clone of um, of Emery, and so it's it's unclear whether Emery is a fresh uh, genetic template like Django, like if she was an original person, or if um, if Emery herself is like somehow a female version of of um, Django Fett's uh, DNA. Yeah, we we're not really clear on whether she and Omega are both clones or whether Omega is just cloned from her. But hopefully we find more about that in the season. Anyway, we see Emery taking, um, she's taking blood samples from clone troopers every day. And she takes a sample from Omega. And Omega brings this sample to Nalase's laboratory. And surprisingly, Nalase deletes all record of the sample. And then she tosses it in the bin that kind of vaporizes stuff. So she's basically throwing away, uh, not wanting the Empire to test uh, Omega's DNA. And it's implied that this pattern uh, is, is the same for months. In early in this first episode, we see Omega carve a, a fourth or a fifth tick mark into the wall. And to me, that means she's been there for about almost a week. And then by the end of it, we see uh, lots of lines, lots of sets of five tick marks. It looked like she's been in there for maybe between four to six months. I've seen some things on Instagram about that being a two-year gap, but I didn't see enough tick marks on the wall to warrant that being true. So we'll have to see if if um, Lucasfilm uh, clears anything up about how long she's been there. But basically, Omega's getting into this pattern. She wakes up, Emery wakes her up, comes and gets her every day, um, tests her blood every day, every day. Nalase throws the... Uh, sample away and they just don't talk about it. Um, we see um, some kindness towards Omega from Emery. Emery gives her back a little toy she had made. Um, it looks like her toy that she always has on the Marauder, which is the Bad Batch's ship. And so she kind of makes one herself, which gets confiscated by some commandos who are doing a room search. But then 
Emery gives it back to her by the end of the episode. Um, Omega, one of the other subplots of this episode is uh, Mount Tantus is patrolled by these things called Lurka Hounds. Basically, basically big dogs that the Empire is using. Obviously, they're aliens and not really dogs, but they're pretty much dogs. So she has befriended a Lurka Hound, named it Batcher, obviously a reference to her family, the Bad Batch. Um, she befriends this animal, and then it's it's injured, and the robot says that, you know, the robot that's in charge of overseeing all these Lurka Hounds says that if um, the animal doesn't get better, then it'll be scheduled for termination. And so she sneaks in some medicine. She also sneaks in food to this uh, hound named Batcher. So it's pretty fond of her. Um, towards the end of the episode, it's it's looking like the wound on the hound is getting better. But then the the uh, Lurka hound is still, uh, Batcher is still scheduled for uh, being put down. And so Omega crushes uh, this robot with some thing that's craned up on the ceiling and then she frees the hound and of course hemlock comes in and he's not very happy about that saying like you basically put a weakened hound out into that jungle where uh, nothing survives right where a shuttle had crashed in the beginning of the episode and we're left to assume that those stormtroopers were eaten by something horrible anyway so she feels pretty bad about uh, releasing the hound and hemlock is not happy with her at all so basically, right, this is kind of a hopeless episode. I thought it had similar vibes to both of Crosshair's episodes in season two where he was kind of the main character. It felt very, right, it's getting, Omega's getting into this pattern, kind of accepting that she's going to be here for a while. But of course, Omega is always looking to escape. She keeps uh, trying to encourage Crosshair to escape with her when she's ready. Of course, Crosshair is not having any of that because he's kind of grumpy, justifiably so. Uh, moving on to episode two, it's called Paths Unknown. So now we're back to Record Hunter. We don't see Omega or Crosshair at all during this episode. So basically we see Wrecker and Hunter. Uh, they're bounty hunting in order to get any little snippets of information that they can about where uh, Omega could be. So they get uh, coordinates of one of, of Hemlock's labs, and they, they go to the coordinates and they find it destroyed. Um, it's interesting that we see Wrecker and Hunter and not Echo, because Echo was with them all the way up until, right, the last scene of the season two finale. And Wrecker, um, he comes in and he says, so Echo says that he and Rex can't um, make it to these coordinates. Uh, it'll, it'll take him a couple days. Meaning that Echo has obviously maybe not completely given up hope on finding Omega, but I think he thinks his talents are better used on Rex's task force where they're trying to, you know, uh, save clones from being uh, just thrown away by the Empire and helping clones that have defected. So it sounds like uh, Echo and Rex are off doing their own thing. But, of course, I'm betting we're going to see them both in the next few episodes. Basically, uh, Wrecker and Hunter go to these coordinates. Th it shows that there's they have this big giant lab and it's been completely uh, demolished by some orbital bombardment like Camino was uh, completely destroyed by the Empire and so obviously they're thinking oh my what if um, what if Omega was here because if she was here then she's dead now and so they need to get down to this lab and see if Omega there's any records of her being there and on the way they encounter three uh, clone cadets 
Now these clone cadets are in a state that we've not really seen before. We've seen like the little kid versions of, of clones in the Clone Wars a lot. But these sort of are like more 14, 15, 16 years old. Uh, the equivalents, they're right, clones age twice as fast. So they're probably what, seven and a half in real years. Um, but they find these three clone cadets. They were being experimented on uh, similar to Omega and Crosshair in this lab. And they escaped. And then the Empire, I think they escaped during the whole chaos of the Empire of demolishing that facility. And then, so they take one of these, one of these cadets and they go into the lab. They encounter these things called slither vines. And they're sort of vines that are sort of conscious and will try to strangle you or hurt you or whatever. And it's, um, it's revealed that the Empire had made these in their, their experiments and something had gone wrong. And so they have to destroy this base to prevent these slither vines from uh, spreading across the galaxy, I suppose. Anyways, they go to the base and they, they figure out that Omega was probably not there and that, you know, they should keep looking. Um, of course, while they're investigating the big slither vine monster thing, it's kind of like a sarlacc. Maybe it's like a cross of a sarlacc and some like vines, some evil vines. Anyway, this thing tries to get them. Those, the two other clone cadets have gotten in the Marauder thinking of maybe taking it and escaping, but they decide to go and help the uh, the one clone cadet and Wrecker and Hunter. And so they drop a whole crate of explosives into this Sarlacc thing. The explosion is pretty cool. Um, they fly off, and then it's implied that they're going to drop these three cadets off at Pabu, which is that island in Season 2 that the Bad Batch was maybe going to uh, uh, stay on Pabu and, and not be soldiers anymore. Not much happened in Paths Unknown, the second episode, aside from finding those three clone cadets, which is a surprise. But it, I think it more goes to show how desperate Hunter and uh, Wrecker, and especially Hunter, are in uh, locating and uh, rescuing Omega. But Omega has plans for herself. So let's move on to episode three of the premiere, which was Shadows of Tantis. Basically, in the beginning of the episode, we hear that an important guest is going to be arriving at the Tantis lab facility. This guest is so important that Dr. Hemlock um, insists that Nala say come with him to receive this guest and do whatever it is they're going to do. And, of course, that means that Nala say can't do her typical routine of destroying Omega's blood sample, which is which is a problem. Because, obviously, Nala say knows that um, the Empire testing... Omega's Omega's blood and her DNA is, is bad news for Omega. Anyway, uh, Nalase and Omega both realize that she can't destroy this. In a quiet moment when Hemlock is talking to a commando, uh, Nalase encourages Omega to grab her data pad and try to escape. She tells her that if they test her blood, she'll be in danger. So Nalase goes off with Hemlock and then Omega takes um, Nalase's data pad and is off to uh, escape. So she goes to Crosshair. She breaks him out of his cell. And, and they're going to go and try to find a way to escape. Their first plan is to um, get a shuttle, which is not possible. Because all the shuttles are grounded. Because um, the Emperor, or Darth Sidious, has come to Tantus to visit and check on Hemlock's progress. So let's go back to Emperor shows up. And him and Hemlock and Alise go to this secret facility inside of... Mount Tantus to look at something called 
project Necromancer. And so um, Hemlock takes uh, uh, the Emperor in and they look at a specimen. And uh, again, Hemlock makes mention that uh, given enough resources and time, they should be able to um, do a successful M count transfer. Now, I felt a little stupid because this time when they said M count, I was like, oh, they're talking about midichlorian counts, obviously. So it took me maybe <laughs> maybe other people figure that out before me, but I was still like, oh, that makes sense. Of course, it's midichlorian counts. So we're going to talk about uh, Project Necromancer uh, after we get over this recap. Anyway, so that's why all the shuttles are grounded, because obviously everything's locked down pretty tight when the Emperor is in town. So her and uh, Crosshair go to escape where the hounds are let in. So the, the hounds are outside most of the time patrolling and, and maybe catching escaped prisoners. Anyway, they have a, a chute that they come in to get fed and um, get taken care of if they're injured or terminated if they're injured. And so they go out one of those tunnels. Of course, they encounter Emery because she has gone to Omega's cell or bedroom and she's not there. And so she encounters Omega and Crosshair. Um, she tries to convince Omega to stay and then Crosshair or Omega, but I think it's Crosshair. He shoots her with a stun blast. And so she's knocked out and they're able to escape. There's a bit of a an, an intense scene where all these ray shields are getting brought up. It kind of reminded me of in The Phantom Menace, that hallway with all the with all the uh, ray shields that uh, Qui-Gon meditates behind and then goes to fight Darth Maul. I thought that was a cool callback to the first movie. Anyway, so Omega and Crosshair get out of this tunnel safely, and then there's some more intense scenes of some commandos and stormtrooper squads coming out to get them. Um, Omega commandeers one of these shuttles with the recovery team, and then uh, Crosshair has a few moments of where he gets to be cool and take out a commando and then a stormtrooper. So he's fighting with all the stormtroopers. It's interesting that there's the stormtrooper squad is kind of looking around and this laser blast comes out of nowhere and then we see Crosshair kind of like, dang it, I think his hand twitch that we see in the first episode is kind of affecting his aim, which is interesting because Crosshair's whole thing is, right, that's his name, Crosshair. He's like the sniper. So it'll be interesting to see how this, this twitch is going to affect him throughout the season. Uh, Omega and Batcher. Batcher comes back and helps them defeat this big gorilla lion monster thingy and then also takes out a few stormtroopers. So Omega and Batcher and Crosshair commandeer this shuttle and they get out of there. But there's some V-Wings chasing them because obviously um, the Imperials aren't just going to let them escape. But while this is going on, they're about to get shot down in their ship when Omega's sample finally gets tested and it shows a high M count, and so Emery goes and tells Hemlock about that, and knowing that that's what he's after, and he can't risk, he can't risk killing Omega, he needs her alive, so he lets them go because of her high M count. And so that's where we leave episode three, is uh, Crosshair and Omega going into hyperspace. Hopefully they're going to uh, get in contact with and meet up with the rest of the squad in the next episode. Maybe the Empire will be after them in the next episode, but we'll see. I guess we can talk about uh, Omega's M count first. And so I've seen a lot of things on social media kind of reminding people that just because there's a high M count doesn't mean that somebody's going to be force sensitive. Kind of like it's never mentioned what Sabine's M count is or midichlorian count, but then it's revealed that she's force sensitive in Ahsoka. And people feel all sorts of ways about that, but that doesn't matter for this. So it'll be interesting to see, is she actually force sensitive? Does she just have this high M count 
And then obviously, why why does the Empire want that? Um, I had a few thoughts on the premiere, not many, but some. Uh, first of all, the animation is awesome, right? We saw animation get better and better in the Clone Wars. If you go back and watch like the original 2008 Clone Wars movie, it's like, oh my goodness, this animation is not very good. But obviously, they got better and better. And then season seven of the Clone Wars was amazing. Uh, the first two seasons of Bad Batch even better, and uh, season three feels like they've even they've even more mastered this animation style, the lighting, the effects, the special effects, laser blasts. Um, lots of characters feel so unique. Um, my brother-in-law mentioned that kind of in Clone Wars, you know, everybody has really sharp, angular facial features, and they all sort of look like really similar. At least all the humans do, and. Uh, I feel like there's lots of unique character designs, especially Dr. Hemlock. He's a really unique character. doesn't really look like any of the humans we've seen in Clone Wars or Bad Batch. So they're basically firing on all cylinders with this animation. We know that the animation in Tales of the Jedi looked awesome as well. So I keep, I hope they keep making animated things with this animation style because it looks really amazing. I really enjoyed the first episode a lot. I might have mentioned it earlier, but it really felt like Crosshair's episodes especially the one in season two where he's sitting down to eat and then he gets called into the commander's quarters to get a mission and he goes on this mission and there's lots of stuff involved with that and then the end of the episode starts the same way. And so it really felt like that, felt like Omega's been here for so long, how is she ever going to escape? It was sort of a dark and slow episode, which I like and I like that they're not afraid to do that with the first episode. I feel like people's media literacy is sort of down in the last few decades and people always want oh action action fast paced and if it's not that then it's not good but this shows that right if you have good writing and good pacing and you're not afraid to let it be slow then you can have some really emotionally impactful episodes like crosshairs crosshairs episodes in season two were my favorite of the season um i thought it was cool when um hemlock and palpatine are looking at project necromancer there's all these sith markings on the floor uh, really similar to the Sith Temple on Malachor in Rebels Season 2 finale. Obviously, there's some Sith stuff, some culty stuff going on with Project Necromancer. Um, I didn't realize this when I watched it, but I saw on social media that when Moff Gideon is meeting with the Shadow Council, kind of the Imperial Remnant in Mando Season 3, that uh, somebody makes mention of when, when uh, Thrawn comes back, the Imperial military is going to reemerge and that's going to give Commandant Hux, who is the father of uh, Admiral Hux in uh, uh, the sequel trilogy, he's going to have time to finish Project Necromancer. So this means that Project Necromancer has been being worked on for like 30 years at this point, which is interesting how slow the progress is. I don't really know Project Necromancer. I think obviously it has to do with uh, the Emperor having cloned bodies to inhabit if his, if his body was ever to die. It could also be um, working on creating Snoke who we know is just a puppet of Palpatine. And we see maybe an early version of Snoke in a Mando episode in a tube. And then we, we definitely see a bunch of Snokes in tubes at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker on Exegol. And so it, it's unclear whether this is making clone bodies of the Emperor or preparing to make this puppet of, of, of Snoke. So I'm, I'm interested to see what else. And of course, they're going to tie this into the sequel trilogy kind of retcon that preparation of the emperor having a clone body and uh, i know there's lots of opinions about that and maybe we'll discuss that in a future podcast episode um 
I had written down that the absence of echo is not explained, but it is because Wrecker makes mention that Echo and Rex are not going to be able to uh, make that rendezvous. And, you know, immediately it's going to take them a couple days. Even watching the episodes, I was like, oh, Echo's not here. I just assume that he's working with Rex. So it's not really that big of a plot hole or anything. Well, that's about all I have to talk about for the season three premiere. It was three episodes. They were all awesome. Overall, I'm just really excited for season three. Excited to see the story of the Bad Batch concluded. I hope it's not too sad, the conclusion of the story, and I hope it leads to more animated content from Lucasfilm in the future. But anyway, that's been my recap and review of the uh, Season 3 premiere episodes. Looking forward to watching Episode 4 and then making some more, uh, uh, making a podcast episode about that. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always. <laughs>